Amen. Hey, uh, grab a seat. And as you grab a seat, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit odd for the beginning of a sermon. I need you to remember the last time you went to the doctor, last time you walked into a doctor's office. Uh, Usually when we walk into a doctor's appointment, uh, the same things happen every time to start the appointment. Uh, Usually uh, very quickly upon getting in the room, there's a thermometer in our mouth. Uh, Blood pressure cuff goes on our arm. Uh, The fingers of the nurse might rest on our wrist, just getting a heart rate, a stethoscope, uh, listening to breathing. Um, doctors have some, uh, some of the same things they do every time you see them. Um, they, they do this because there's some signs or there's some indicators that right away doctors can measure and get kind of a good feel for physically where our health is at. Uh, what do we call these signs? What do we call these signs? Vital signs. Uh, Vital signs are if you've ever been to a hospital and they have you hooked up to that machine and it kind of dings and uh, makes all kinds of noise and it's measuring constantly your vital signs. There's some signs or indicators that kind of show physically uh, where does our health rest. Um, Today we begin a new series and we're going to be six weeks in this and we're calling it Vitals, uh, the source and signs of a healthy life in Christ. And we're just asking the question, are there some spiritual vital signs we can be looking at that kind of give us a good gauge of what does a healthy walk with Jesus look like? And now um, this series won't be like, here are six legalistic things that you better do in your life or you'll be judged severely by our church, okay? Not that. No laughs at that. Okay, that's awkward. Um, um, This isn't like a six legalistic steps to um, spiritual health. It's not like come to church for these next six weeks and boom, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then six weeks from now, you're just going to be perfectly spiritually healthy. No, what this is, is saying like, um, as we open scripture and as we look, like here are things, here are characteristics that we find of what healthy discipleship, healthy following of Jesus should look like. Now, the source and signs of a healthy life in Christ, that's a very intentional tagline because um, week one today is going to be uh, fundamentally different from all of the other weeks that follow. Um, week one is all about before we can talk about what are signs of spiritual health, we should probably nail down what in the world spiritual life even is because vital signs are used on living people. And we can't move to weeks two, three, four, five, and six where we're talking about what are healthy signs of a spiritually alive person without talking about what does it mean to have spiritual life. And so today, um, we're going to, on our notes, from a couple verses in Scripture, build a sentence together. And this sentence has three parts to it. Let's call it the, uh, the, uh, the who and the what and the how of spiritual life. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to ask this, who do we need to know in order to have spiritual life. Because what we're going to find the Bible teaches and Christianity, the the foundation of Christianity rests on, is that spiritual life doesn't come ultimately from what we do. Spiritual life comes ultimately from who we know. And uh, so who do we need to know in order to have spiritual life? Now I'll say this. If you've grown up in church, you've been around uh, uh, the Christian faith at all, you're like, boom, know the answer to that. Like, 
There's something about in us unpacking that today that I hope will be a very fresh perspective of worship for you. Who do we need to know? That'll lead us into these, these verses will lead us then into what happens when we know this one. And so if I do have a relationship with this, this one that I'm to have a relationship, what then will happen? There's something that happens at the very core of who we are when we are in relationship with this one. And then the sermon will end today with, I hope, what will produce a lot of worship inside of us. How does this miracle of spiritual life happen? Like, how does God do this? And so that is kind of where we're going today to unpack the source of spiritual life that will then lead us to the weeks ahead of what are the signs of this healthy walk in Christ. Now, um, if you have a Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you need a Bible, there's one under a seat nearby. Turn to the table of contents right in the beginning and find this book in the New Testament called 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 5 today, but there's some things we need to understand about where we're turning in our Bible. Uh, this what we call book of our Bible is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and it's written to Jesus followers in, you guessed it, the city of Corinth. Now, um, I don't have time today to unpack all the specifics of Corinth and the culture of Corinth, but I want to give you a feel for what Corinth was like and what the culture surrounding these Jesus followers in this city would have been like. And so as you think of ancient Corinth, you need to have in your head modern day Las Vegas. Okay, that help that help. And uh, talking to a pastor in Las Vegas not too long ago, and I just asked him, I said, tell me what it's like to do ministry in Vegas. And he said, you know what? Um, he said, I actually find evangelism out here is very, very easy. He said, there are people so hungry for a message of grace. He said, discipleship, on the other hand, he said, that is very, very hard. Then walking with these people who make a profession of faith in Jesus to teach them what it looks like to obey everything that Christ has commanded with the bombardment of the culture of the city. And all they have to do is go out and walk down the strip and just there's the bombardment of sin right before their eyes. This is kind of what comes to mind when you study the letters to the Corinthians. Paul, it, Paul's dealing with issues. He's dealing with just messiness of what's going on in the church. And it makes sense with the culture that they find themselves surrounded in. But in um, about a third into this letter, what we have is 2 Corinthians 5. Paul's going to remind them of something so foundational to who they are. Hear that. Hear that. Paul's going to remind them of something that's so foundational to who they are. Because, folks, we never get like the what of our life right until we understand the who we are, until we have our identity resting where our identity needs to rest. And Paul's going to remind them of that, and we're going to look at that in this letter. And so um, as we turn here, we're going to understand the who and the what and the how of spiritual life. But before we unpack these couple of verses, pray, and let's ask for God's help. Father, please help us. Uh, Lord, um, Today has the power because your word has the power that anyone in here who might be going through like an identity crisis, this, this can put it to rest. Lord, today has the power to take our faith from simply seeing it as, as moral religious actions to rooting it in a relationship with you. Lord, today has the power for us to leave here full of worship in our heart over who we once were 
and what you have done to make us who we are now. And so, God, would we worship our way through your word right now? God, um, um, you have, uh, for this day, called me to be the worship leader through your word right now. And so, God, I need to teach it right. And so if there's anything wrong about it, Lord, fix that because it's got to be right. Um, and so, God, will you help us now? Um, would, your, would you do a miracle in our midst where your spirit comes down and meets with us in such an evidently powerful way that the only thing we can talk about leaving here is that God just met with us? Lord, that's what we ask you to do, please, because we're here for you and we want you to teach. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Get there with me. And the word says this, therefore, if anyone is, what's it say, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Right there in those verses are the who and the what and the how of what spiritual life looks like. But the very first word of verse 17 reminds us that we've just dropped into a third of the way into a letter uh, that is being written. And it reminds us that there's things that have been written before what we're reading right here. What is the first word of verse 17? Therefore, and so anytime you see that in Scripture, you know that uh, what is about to be said is going to be connected to what has been said. And so we got to get a bit of an understanding about what has been said. Go back to verse 16 and the start of this paragraph. It says, from now on, what, what's the next word? Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Right there at the beginning of 16, we find another therefore. That brings us back to the end of the paragraph before. How did the end of the paragraph before And Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Okay, follow me here. Verse 15 has just said uh, that those who live for Christ should no longer live for themselves, but should live for him who died for them. Verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Verse 16 is sandwiched there, and I think it's really an important lead-in to 17, where Paul says, because the one who no longer lives for himself, but is living for Christ, because he's a new creation in Christ, verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? Other translation of that verse could say, from now on, therefore, we regard no one in a worldly way. We regard no one in a manner in which the world regards people. To say it like this, to hopefully put some handles on it, is this. Um, Paul's saying, because the person in Jesus is no longer living for himself but for him, because he's a new creation in Christ, we no longer put the labels on people. We no longer use the same labels for people the world uses to label people. Let's unpack that. We all realize we get labeled, right? Is that a newsflash to anyone? You get labeled. What do I mean by that? 
we all realize that we label other people, right? How do we get labeled and how do we label other people and what in the world do I mean by being labeled? We often get labeled by either one of two extremes. The things we're really successful and good at. And so go back to, go back to school with me, if you will. You labeled people athletes, right? You labeled people musicians. You labeled people brainiacs, right? You got, people got those labels because of the things they were good at, the things they were successful at. Or we also, and this one's not usually as fun, we also get labeled by the things we've really blown it at by some significant failures in our life or by some things we're just not really good at. We typically are regarded by the world either in the things we're really, really good at or the things we've really blown it at. And so um, um, think about some, some things from history. Picture here, a uh, baseball player. You might not recognize him by the picture. If you're a sports guy or sports lady and you know the history of sports, you'll know the name Bill Buckner. Anyone know that name? Anyone that name so familiar? Anyone know what Bill Buckner is famous for? A slow ground ball hit to first base, game six of the World Series, right underneath his legs, game over, he blew it for the Boston Red Sox. For the last 30-plus years, Bill Buckner has been known as the guy who blew it for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, this guy is a little more familiar in recent history. Recognize this guy? Bernie Madoff. That name, you don't think of anything else as soon as I say that name other than like leader of the largest fraud Ponzi scheme our country has ever seen. A couple guys who've been labeled by their failures. Paul is saying something here. We regard no one, we label no one according to the flesh. We don't label people in worldly ways. Why? Because as he transitions into verse 17, worship church, he says, there's only one identity-defining label that matters. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, boom. He's like, that's all that matters. If anyone is in Christ. And now think about the implication of that. It's fun to be labeled by the things we're good and successful at. It's fun to be labeled by the wins of our life. It's fun to be labeled if you're a great athlete as the great athlete. But guess what? You get old, fat, and slow. A day is coming where you're no longer the great athlete. It's fun to be labeled as the, the, the musician, but vocal cords wear out one day. It's fun to be labeled as the brainiac, but the brain uh, isn't as sharp as it once was. If we rest our identity on the labels the world gives us, those labels are torn off one day, and then we're left in an identity crisis going, who am I? But if even in the midst of the successes and the wins and the great gifts God has given you, you still see yourself as, you know who I am? I'm in Christ. That's who I am. Your identity rests sure. If, on the other hand, you've blown it in some ways, and guess what? We all have. We've all worn some labels in different seasons and some great failures. Uh, you walk around school or you walk around places and people are like, hey, let me tell you a story that uh, maybe isn't that guy or that girl's bright spot. And um, how that doesn't become crippling for you is if you get, yeah, I have blown it, but guess what? I'm in Christ. You can still walk in the midst of that and joy. And Paul says, therefore, if anyone 
is in Christ. We don't regard people with the labels of the world. We regard them as in Christ for those who know Jesus. Now let's talk about that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Now, we need to understand something about this phrase, and it's really crucial. And this is what uh, led me uh, in the midst of a very familiar verse to a fresh sense of worship this week. This phrase, in Christ or in him, appears in Paul's writing 164 times. Compare that to the word Christian that is found in all of the Bible only three times. Okay? And you're like, okay, that's interesting. In Christ, 164 times. The word Christian only three times. What's the big deal? John Stott, late uh, Bible scholar and pastor, tells us what the big deal is, and I'm paraphrasing him. He says, we have to remember as followers of Jesus, that we aren't ultimately converts adhering to a religious system. We are ultimately people connected to a risen Christ. Get the implication of that. If we are in Christ ones, and if the way, the overwhelming way that Scripture wants to talk about us as people in union with Christ, we aren't just people adhering to the process of a religious system. We're people connected to an alive Savior. We're in Him, and His life is flowing into us, and it has great implications for everything. What are the implications? Think about it. If you simply see your faith as just trying to be obedient to a religious system or to say it like this, do you see your faith as a conversion to a religious system or a connection to a risen Christ? And now let's talk about that. If you see your faith as simply a conversion to a religious system, you will get up and you will do the functions that you think you're supposed to do as a good adherent to that religious system, you'll do many of the same things that someone who totally has a healthy foundation in Jesus, you'll read your Bible, and you'll go to church, and you'll go to small, and you'll do, and you'll do, and you'll do, and you'll do, and you'll say, I am a healthy adherent to a religious system called Christianity, and guess what? Uh, do that for months and do that for years, and you'll be absolutely spiritually fried. You'll be like, I'm doing all this. This is what Christians are supposed to do. Why do I feel so exhausted? This is what it looks like when we simply see our faith as I'm a convert adhering to a religious system. On the other hand, you see your faith the way Scripture teaches your faith as one who is in Christ the picture Jesus gave of this in John 15, a, a branch connected into the vine, the life of that vine flowing out to that branch, lush, green, fruit-bearing. You see your faith for what it is, a little one in Christ, connected to him, the life source. You'll get up and you'll read your Bible and you will find it exhilarating because you want more of Jesus. And you want more of Jesus formed in you. 
you'll get up and you'll gather with the greater body because you want more of Jesus and you want more of Jesus formed in you. You'll gather in living rooms with other believers to open the scriptures and to open your life to them because you want more of Jesus and you want more of Jesus formed in you. Jesus, Christianity is fundamentally different than every other world religious system. We aren't just converts to adhere to a religious system. We are people walking with, living in a risen Christ, and it's a vastly different thing. Parents in the room, think about the implication of this and how you raise Christian children. You know, we hear the stats all the time. You know, kids are growing up in the church, and then as soon as they leave home, they're leaving the church. And I've, I've heard all kinds of things of what the real stats on that are. I don't know what the real stats on it are. I know it's probably an issue. I'm Willing to bet those kids that are, when they leave home, are leaving the church, all they ever saw was, we're just trying to adhere to a religious system. I'm just trying to do the functions of this, and I really don't get it. Parents raising kids, don't just try to get them to adhere to religious systems. Paint for them the most beautiful picture of a risen Christ you can. Why do we study our Bible? Teach them why. Show them Jesus for the beautiful one he is. Why do we go to church? Teach them why. Show them, show them Jesus for the beautiful one he really is. There is a vast difference between the two. You're like, okay, but what does that look like functionally? I don't know. My kid's only three. <laughs> I'm figuring it out. But I can confess this to you as a parent of, you know, four kids all under three years old and under. Yeah, feel sorry for me, please. Um, <laughs> I find myself teaching my oldest in ways that I'm like, oh, I'm not painting for him the beautiful Jesus here. I'm just trying to get him to morally adhere to something. Just find, just listen to yourself. I know it's scary, Right. I, okay, this wasn't planned. Uh, um, we, we went to go to Southern Indiana this week, um, uh, weekend for uh, my wife had a couple sisters graduating and all six of us stayed in one hotel room. Yes, you got that right. Four kids, three years old and under and us all in one hotel room. And um, I'm, I'm walking back the next morning with coffees because we desperately needed them. And, and like I... I just, I just got a fresh picture of like the voice coming out the door, like hearing the way we sound in this season. Trey, Jason, stop. Trey, don't touch that. You know, just like barking at our kids. And like, it's just like, wow, we're in a season where we're constantly barking at our kids. And it just was this fresh, uh, this fresh, like, Lord, how do we instruct them in a way that shows you to them as beautiful and de desiring of following, not just like barking at them so they become better moral citizens, right? Anyone with me here? Okay, so y'all are with me. You're just convicted too. Okay. Um, there's a vast, I want to camp out here in a bit because I think when we grow up in church, we're like, in Christ, get it, move on. In Christ, get it, move on. No, no, no. I think what we might get in suburban Christianity America is how to look like Christian people adhere to religious system when Jesus has invited us into something vastly more beautiful than that. He's like, I really want to like live inside of you. I really want to give you my spirit. 
And I really want to like be working through you in Christ. If I am in Christ. So we're going to build this sentence together. The first part is, okay, who do we need to know in order to have spiritual life? We need to be in Christ. We need to be found in Christ. What happens when we know this one? If I am in Christ. Back to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Now, sit in the beauty of what's about to be said here. If anyone is in Christ, you read it to me, church. He is a new creation. Not rehabbed. Not renovated. Not gently used. Not polished up on the outside and still very, very broken on the inside. Not some rust patches covered up with a veneer that looks new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Come on, y'all. Like we, no, 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 we got to get that. I'm standing on the podium now. Uh, We got to get that because I don't think we believe it. I know I struggle to believe it sometimes. I read that and then come on, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it's like one of the first verses we learn. Like there's songs for our kids for it. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And it's like there's something that struggles to believe that. If I am in Christ, I am a new creation, period. Boom. We can believe it. And now Paul is so, he is so led by the Holy Spirit. He is so passionate about the Corinthians understanding this that he wants to unpack in a level of like obviousness what that means. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Here it goes. The old has passed away and all God's people said, If I am in Christ, I'm a new creation. Let it sink in. The old is gone. The old is gone. So let's talk about what defines us before we have a relationship with Jesus. The old me before Christ was, def- was defined by what? The old me before Christ was defined by an old mind. Uh, the Bible tells us that before we knew Jesus and we're in sin and we're an enemy of God, like even our thinking is hostile to God. We don't even want to think in a way that will give God honor. Well, we have an old mind. We have an old heart. We have a desire for things, and the desires are typically for sin and self. And even like the best of the things that I did pre-Jesus, I can look back and see just the utter selfishness usually in all of those. Uh, We have an old fruit. We have old fruit. Uh, Galatians uh, 5 talks about the fruit that comes from the spirit of walking with Jesus, and it talks about fruit of the flesh. And before we know Jesus, we don't have the spirit dwelling in us, and we, our life is bearing this ugly, rotten, nasty fruit. And we have an old goal. We have an old purpose. And our goal before we know Jesus is just to please ourselves, pretty much. Back to the verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So if I am in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. And the most beautiful words we hear in Scripture, the new has come. What defines the life of someone who walks in Christ? We have a new mind. 
Our mind is being transformed. The word is transforming our thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you're able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You think differently. Before Jesus, you thought one way. After Jesus, you think a different way. You have a new heart. You desire new things. You desire, uh, you hunger for righteousness. You find yourself hungering for things that will please God. You have new fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Think about uh, your life before Jesus and the people that surrounded you before Jesus. Think about people you've run into through the years who only knew the pre-Jesus you. Think about how you came to faith. Think about what your life looks like defined by the fruit of the Spirit now. And then have you ever had a time where someone from that old you ran into the new you and they say, who is this? You look the same and you have the same name, but you are not the same person. You have new fruit and you have, most importantly, you have a new goal. You have a new purpose for your life. Earlier right here in this this, this chapter we're studying, Paul writes, so we make it our aim to please him. We make it our goal to please him. What is the goal of your life? If you don't leave church with any other thing today, let me tell you what the purpose of your life is. Are you ready? Please God. You're like, well, that seems anticlimactic. It's awesomely climactic. Please God. 2 Corinthians 5.9 tells you what the goal of your life is. Please God. Leave here today and do things that please God so that he'll get glory. And when you know Christ, when you're in Christ, you're living with this new goal, this new sense of purpose. Now, we gotta, before we go on to verse 18, I, we got to raise a question here. Because there's some of you sitting in here, no doubt at this point, who read verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And you're sitting in your seat and you're going, I know, I know Jesus. I know I know him. I see the change. I see these things you're talking. I'm thinking differently about some things and, and I have different desires and I see Jesus changing me. But, it, but this verse says I'm a new creation and that the old has gone. And you're going, why do I still see aspects of the old me, sin tendencies of the old me, rear their ugly head in the new me with Jesus? Anyone want to know the answer to that question? Yeah, yep, five, seven, eight of you. Okay, good. Um, Because scripture teaches that we are groaning inwardly to be released from the flesh of this body. Romans talks about we're groaning with creation. We inside are groaning going, oh Jesus, come back and make it new. Because we are still trapped within this flesh. And that's why we still see the flesh rear its ugly head, even in this new walk with Jesus. And so the question that I want to raise, and we use this saying around here all the time, um, patternly, not perfectly. Has the pattern of your life changed since your confession in Jesus as Lord? 
The question is not, have you lived perfectly since your confession is Jesus is Lord? We as a church don't believe in sinless perfection. We don't believe it can be attained this side of heaven. Uh, we believe that what the Lord is doing is he's sanctifying us to look more like Jesus until the day we stand before Jesus. And that's when Jesus will make us perfect in his sight. And so knowing Jesus doesn't mean you're sinless. Knowing Jesus should, though, mean you sin less. It should mean that. There should be a marked pattern change in your life upon faith in Jesus. And so two sides of a coin that I want to flip over before us. First side of the coin. When you who know you think differently, you desire differently, you have new fruit coming out of your life, you are seeing the work of Jesus in your life. When that ugly flesh rears its head and you fall back into some sin that was so dominant in your life that you've had a lot of victory in since knowing Jesus, but the flesh reared its ugly head, when that happens and you know you're in Christ, do not believe the little whisper lie of the enemy who say, see, you're not saved. You ain't saved. A saved person wouldn't do that. Really sure you're saved? You really think you know Jesus? Do you think a Jesus follower would do that? Don't listen to that lie. Instead, you know what you do in that moment? You revel and worship over the amazing grace of God. And you get your heart right back on the train of wanting to see more of Christ formed in you. That's one side of the coin. Now, can I flip the coin over? Let me flip the coin over, and this is really important. Tell me, tell me what, again what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? So I think one of the most uh, subtly deceptive works of the enemy in suburban Christian America is, I'm wa I, here's my life, here's my life, here's my life. Here's where I make a decision for Christ. Here's my life, here's my life, here's my life. My life on this side of that decision looks no different from it than it did on that side of the decision. But now I have, uh, I have peace in my conscience that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Listen, look at what the verse says. If anyone is in Christ, he is a... There's got to be something new there. So I'm telling you, folks, I'm telling you, and I hit on this all the time because I'm so burdened for this, how many people have a false sense of assurance of their faith because of a decision they made at one point, but there's no new creation reality in their life. I've just told you, it's not perfection, but man, it is a pattern change. And so if you see no pattern change, I'm pleading with you, not because I want to make you feel bad about yourself, but because I want you assured in your faith, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Don't be lulled to sleep by the end. Yes, I, mean, I, I prayed a prayer. I raised a hand. I walked an hour. That, that is legitimately the point in your salvation if you saw your affections for Jesus grow after that point. But if there's no pattern change, you're not in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come can you see where the old you has gone and a new you has been formed by Jesus there? That's the two sides of that coin. Now, who do we need to know? We need to know Christ. What happens upon knowing Christ? We're a new creation, old gone, new come. Now, how does this happen? Verse 18. How does this awesome miracle happen? 
All this is from God. First word, you say it loudly to me. All. All this is from God. All what? All of the reality of someone being in Christ and made a new creation and the old being shipped out and the new being ushered in, all of that is God's doing. All of it. So he gets all the glory. Brock, what did you do to save yourself? Well, let me tell you. You didn't do jack. Jesus did it all. How has God done? All this is from God. Who, who, I crept some stamina in the sermon for this point right here. Okay, ready? All this is from God who through Christ, here's a beautiful word. What's the word? Reconciled us. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let's talk about this. Let me give you the point first. If I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. Old is gone. New has come. God has done this through the reconciling work of Christ. What does it mean to be reconciled? To be reconciled means this. The reestablishment of a broken relationship. How many of you have ever had a reconciling conversation with someone else? How many of you know the emotion on the one side of that conversation, the angst and the inner turmoil, and you're like, how's this going to go? And we haven't spoken for this amount of time. And like, is this? And then the phone call or the meeting or the, you're sitting in your house and then reconciliation happens and the relationship is restored and the feelings of that on the other side. We all know that, right? Or another definition, to exchange hostility for peace. Now think about this. In all of our examples of reconciliation, um, uh, it was after I became the pastor of this church uh, for years, it had been about 12 years, uh, something I did to someone else in high school, yes, in high school, haunted me for about a decade. And it was after I became a senior pastor that I'm sitting in our apartment when we first moved here. And, you know, like I had gotten the guy's number from someone else who knew it, and I'm sitting there like, let me pray about it. And the Lord's like, yeah, you've prayed about it, bro. <laughs> Call the number. You know, dial the number and just, hey, you know, so-and-so, it's Brock. He's like, Brock Graham? Like, I, you're alive? Like, I, I haven't heard from you. And just, hey, do you remember that moment? Yeah, I remember that. Dude, I've, for 12 years, never just said to you, will you forgive me for that? Oh, dude, we were kids. Of course you're forgiven for that, man. Like, I don't want you worried about that one for one. The weight of something done as like a 17-year-old and now a 29, the weight, gone. But you and I, we both know, in reconciling conversations between two human beings, often we come to that reconciling table, and no matter where you cut the loaf of bread, there's always two sides that need to be owned, Right? Typically with human beings, both of us got some stuff we need to bring to the reconciling table, right? Think about this. God has done nothing. The reconciling table with God, God has done nothing to contribute to the break in the relationship with man. And yet, he's done everything to reconcile the relationship with man. 
We have done everything in our sin to break the relationship with God, and we do nothing to reconcile. God has done nothing to break the relationship, and he's done everything to reconcile by looking looking on us in our sin and saying, I love you. I'm sending my son. He's your rescuer, your redeemer. He's going to the cross. He will die, and then he will raise again. Repent and believe in him, and we'll be right again. He's done it all. We repent, we believe. God makes us a new creation in Christ. He ushers out the old. He ushers in the new. How can we not worship a God like this? This is what makes us stop and sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This is what that awe, that renewed sense of awe Pastor DJ was talking about. It's us dwelling on these realities daily that leads us to a place of worship. If I am in Christ. I'm a new creation. Say amen, church. And this is where spiritual life is formed and found. Every week after this in this series is now about, okay, what are the vital signs of someone who is in Christ? What are the healthy indicators of someone walking in Christ? But we can't walk out of this place today without just asking the question, are you in Christ? Uh, maybe you've walked in here today and you've never even heard that you have been separated relationally from God. Today, a crazy preacher has just told you, God has told us our sin has separated us from him. But God has loved you so much that he says, if you'll repent and believe in Jesus as your Savior, you'll be reconciled today. Today, maybe you've walked in and for the first time, the Lord turned the lights on in your heart and shows you where you have been a dutifully good convert to a religious system, but you've never been relationally connected to a risen Christ. May today you turn away from your moral, dutiful following of a religious system, and may you turn to the life that is found in the risen Christ. And you do that by repenting and believing, of confessing Christ as Lord. If you want to talk more about that and you came with someone, talk to them. If you want to talk more about that, we'll be right up here in the front. We'd love to talk to you more about that. But we can't get to weeks two through six about the vital signs of a healthy walk in Jesus until we all in this room know that I, in fact, am in Jesus. Pray with me, and let's get ready to worship. Father, I uh, just want to pray for us in this moment. Lord, I pray uh, that we would, uh, every heart in here, be settled and secured in the fact that they are in you. Lord, I pray uh, that we would uh, worship Uh, in the close of this church service, but then throughout our week in the reality of how the old is gone and the new has come. God, I pray in the weeks ahead, would you prepare us to grow in what a healthy walk in you looks like? Because God, we want you to get glory with all of our lives. We want you to be glorified in all things. We want to see us walk out being in Christ once in a way that shines all of the spotlight on you, Jesus. And so God, help us to that end. And you alone 
all of our 